Hey, hiya, howdy, salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast. This is the show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. I'm Emily. And I'm Kara Mia. So go grab your salty snacks and a fizzy drink of your choice. Sit back and be entertained. We fully endorse this show to assist you, listener, as a procrastinator. This show also contains alcohol, some colorful language, and sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Harlots of History. The late night uh, recording. Ooh. Right? Uh, I never we never record at night. We did that. We did it um like one of our last ones. Or it's like three ones ago. I don't know. It's it's desperate times over here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this one maybe we're a little bit less tipsy going into it than we were last time. True, true. The last one was fun though. <laughs> I got halfway through and I was like, I don't think I could read anymore. <laughs> And you're like, you could do it. Um, I'm Emily, and I don't know what I am anymore because I'm not a stay-at-home. I guess I'm a stay-at-home bartender because I don't bartend in public, but uh, I have a lot of other things going on. I'm in school, and now I have a part-time job, and I'm doing this podcast, and I have to... I'm a dog mom and a cat mom, and I have to sit with my dog while she pukes and my cat while he scratches me in the face and my other cat while she meows <laughs> <laughs> he literally i picked him up today to take a picture of him for instagram he scratched my lip and i was like bleeding trying to take a picture of him it was yeah that's so that's me <laughs> bravo bravo I'm a, mess. I, a renaissance woman <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my name's Karamia, and I don't really wish to define myself right now. <laughs> yes, I'm right there with you. I don't know what I am anymore. Because I'm like, you know, because like right now I'm like, I am a teacher. I am a mom who is not only teaching good social values, but like normal things like don't throw stuff in the toilet. <laughs> also like trying to like keep the food groups balanced and trying to teach like let's read let's do this let's do that but while also trying to keep my kids safe from all the hazardous air from all the smoke because we're recording this in September and also just trying to pursue my own interests so I'm like telling my kids like be quiet mom wants to watch Lovecraft Country why because I want to (laughs) (laughs) That, that looks really good and you're a podcaster and I'm a podcaster. I finally feel like I have something that's my own. I, I know, love it. It is, it is our with own. My best if, friend. With my best friend. <laughs> it's me. Even with uh, this episode, this week, Karami and I are doing something different. We're doing a split episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to be honest with you, Karami carried the majority of this episode on her back because I had 77 projects due today. <laughs> well, and also, also. Well, Emily, like, wants to act like she's slacking. She's not. But it's also because I have, like, this, like, ever since I was young, I've always had this passion for American history, the good and the bad. There's a lot of bad. 
So it was really, really fun for me to delve into this. Like I absolutely loved it. I don't think I like it because I think we just learned the same thing over and over again in elementary school. And I was like, I don't want to learn about the Boston Tea Party or Paul Revere anymore. No, and me neither. But like, no, it's also really fun to like learn, like, you know, dude, Thomas Jefferson was a slut. No. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and what's his face didn't actually invent the light bulb. That was Tesla. Yeah. Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, you know, and I grew up going to like his house cause they, they transplanted his house and moved it to Greenfield village, which is in right outside Detroit, <laughs> Michigan. Moved his whole house. Yeah, no, seriously. What? That's really yeah. weird. Why would they do no, that? No, because it's like, it's historical. So they like, you know, picked it up from its foundation and moved it to somewhere where it'd be taken care of. God, imagine all the mold spores that must have gotten uprooted from that. They okay, stop obsessing about mold spores and like 300 year old houses. We know they have them. Oh my God. They have so many. I also spent all morning looking at bacteria under a microscope. So if I wasn't obsessed with mold already, I'm I think now we have obsessed to stop with... talking about vintage and old things after your science class. Or ever. <laughs> I Yeah, I realized I, I actually started freaking out the other day because I was like, oh my gosh, I was shopping and I left the meat out for 30 minutes and then I read a thing about staphyl- how fast staphylococcus and um, E. coli like generate. And it's like, oh yeah, if you leave an egg salad out in your car for four hours and we did the math for you and you'll have 46,000 spores of E. coli. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Anyway, um, don't leave egg salad out in your car. And what are we talking about today? (laughs) Well, we are doing a very special presidential episode for you today because it is November. Oh yeah. And we want everyone's mind to be on who is going to be our next president. Hopefully, we don't have to tell you to vote. We don't have to tell you to think about what we are voting for. Did I tell you that we named our most recent succulent RBG? Good. <laughs> Her name, Good. Yeah, I because- wish I had one more child to name that. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a new girl. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Such a good yeah. name. But today, Emily and I are doing a very, very special couple. Arguably... One of the most powerful, inspirational, influential couples to ever be in the White House. Yes, they have their flaws. We know that. But we are talking about the Roosevelts, FDR and Eleanor, not Theodore. Yeah. And also, I think, too, when um, like talking about politics, a lot of people are so quick to be like, oh, so-and-so did this. They have this flaw. It's like, yes, everyone has flaws. You just have to... You know, everyone has flaws, but their flaws are one thing about them, and you have to look at the bigger picture. If it it depends on how big the flaw is. If it's appropriate. appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant. I meant like you have to look at the bigger picture if their flaws aren't humanitarian. If they don't make them, yeah, if they don't make them like absolute crap of human beings. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, also on that note, um, there is a lot of like misinformation going on about ballots. So I just want to let everyone know that there's still a lot of ballot drop boxes out. Like I have a ballot drop box right outside my school. I found out today. Um, that is how I'm going to be voting. I'm going to drop our ballots off. I have um, one right outside my library. Yes. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, go read a book, go to school. But there's a lot and there's, you know, there's a lot of resources. So you yeah. still have like 24 odd hours, if not more, to get your vote in. Vote. 
to yeah. vote. Yeah, to and vote. Dropped, yeah, yeah. I, last election, I dropped my ballot off um, like the night before. I dropped it off at a ballot. See, me, I like to slide in two hours before everything closes. No, <laughs> well, I like you know to what, feel that like, rush. <laughs> don't do it though if you're doing it by mail. If you're doing it by mail, oh no, no, I always do a yeah. drop off ballot. I always do oh, a yeah, drop off ballot. I would recommend dropping off the ballot. There's a lot of really safe ways to do it. I think take hand sanitizer with you, um, but vote for our, our features. Seriously, and, and your children's the features. next generation yeah. and, and the generation the after that, yeah. right? And I don't think forest. we have to tell you who we're voting for, but um, yeah, just, <sighs> yep, yep, just vote. You know, and it sucks that I know a lot of people like feel like they don't have an option to vote, but. Like they don't have a lot of people to vote for, but it's just, yeah, just vote. And we're, we're yes, yes. And also we want to also acknowledge for the people that have their, they have anxiety around voting because they don't feel like they're represented. Yeah. And I just want to say like, we can't possibly understand what you're going through and we can't possibly understand how you're feeling. And we're not going to tell you how to vote or tell you, you know, who to vote for, or even that you should vote. You know, but that, I think that's also very, very important for people who feel like they're disenfranchised to yeah, hear that absolutely. they're acknowledged, you know, because I think that's also extremely important. But yeah, hopefully, it's easy for us to be feel like we are represented. And yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we're white and I mm-hmm. we acknowledge that. And we know that voting is a very multi-layered subject that is extremely tough, touchy. And I also know like that the way that we vote is in desperate need for reform. The two-party yeah. system does not work. It nope. does not. Yep. We don't have the answers, but we both know that we 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 want more. We want more. Yeah, we do. We do. And so, yeah, I did, you know, it's like even if it's not perfect, like maybe hope it, hopefully a vote can it's a step make in the it. right direction. Hopefully. Yeah, we hope so. Hopefully. For the love of God. All right. Okay, so okay. after our drunken rambling, let's move on to the Roosevelt's. Okay. Okay. Should I start it off? You should. Okay. So the Roosevelt's have, they had a marriage that brought up many questions, but of course, none of them really came around till after their deaths. We'll discuss that because there was a lot of loyalty among the Roosevelt's and their staff, their friends, acquaintances. So here are some questions that we can ask before we start, because I think it's a lot of questions that I personally had before I started this research, because I did not know details about their relationship. Some of the questions I personally had was, was their marriage flawed? Was it extremely progressive and equal? Did Franklin and Eleanor both have affairs? Was Eleanor a lesbian? So today on this special presidential episode of Harlots of History, we will break down the marriage of some of the best harlots the House has ever, the White House has ever offered, FDR and Eleanor, because yes, a man can be a harlot. <laughs> yeah. A man can be a harlot, and there's right. more men should be harlots. Right, and I, we say this in the best way possible, because like we, we champion the word harlot. Yeah, we and, love harlots. Right? And FDR and Eleanor had an unconventional, but to at least me, an inspiring marriage. So I will personally be tackling FDR and the history of the time. And you will be. I'm talking about the amazing Eleanor and what the cultural climate was like for women who identified as gay and progressive during those decades. And so a huge source for us and Emily and I, like 
personally read or read huge chunks of Franklin and Eleanor, An Extraordinary Marriage by Hazel Rowley. And this book was amazing. Uh, the writing was ex- was casual, but extremely stuffed with information and we loved it. Yes. And I honestly, I crammed all this in between like three and 10 p.m. today. So <laughs> I, I really wish that I could have read a lot more. And I honestly, I read it. So I had that book read it for 14 days. And if I ever find a spare second, I'll probably read it because it's really good. And I think I read like a third of it while I was like skimming through, but I want to mm-hmm. read more. It's really well written and it's super interesting. And I'm really ADD and I was like stuck with it for seven hours today. So that should tell you something. <laughs> okay. So, well, we're going to get start off. I think that Franklin just had a pretty idyllic childhood along the Hudson River It was, you know, pretty unremarkable by a lot of standards. But Eleanor, by contrast, had a pretty interesting childhood. She did. So she was born in 1884 in New York City. Uh, Her family is pretty prominent. They, you know, were pretty politically prominent and they had a lot of money, which sounds like, I guess it sounds like it could set you up for an ideal childhood, but it was anything but. Her father was an alcoholic and both of her parents and one of her brothers died by the time she was 10. She, this is kind of a random fact, but she had been involved in a shipwreck with her parents when she was young, like a big, one of the, like a Titanic, not the Titanic, but something like that, um, which started a lifelong fear of boats for her. Uh, Her mother and brother, why are you laughing? That explains so much. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, that explains so much. So her mother and brother both died within a year of each other from diphtheria when she was like eight to nine years old. And then her father died by the time she was 10. He had been institutionalized in a sanitarium for alcoholism, and he jumped out of a window when he was suffering from DTs or delirium tremens. He survived that, but he died of a seizure, which is probably a result of the tremens. And he made Eleanor promise to be a mother to her brother when she was only 10. And I think this is really huge, and we'll get into it later. But so she was 10, her brother was three, and she took that on that role at a super young age. She was raised by her grandmother, her maternal grandmother. Both her mother and her grandmother kind of treated her like she was ugly, and Eleanor always felt that way. Her mother was, like, notably disappointed that her daughter wasn't more beautiful. But Eleanor, like the badass queen she is, wrote, No matter how plain a woman may be, if truth and loyalty are stamped on her face, all will be attracted to her. (laughs) And I love her. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh, what a wonderful woman. I love her. Right. Going into this, we both, both, like, truly loved her. So then... Of course, because like, you know, this is we're trying to talk about Eleanor and Franklin's marriage. So that's why we kind of skim through Franklin's earlier past, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's earlier, like his childhood history, because we have so much to get through. So Eleanor and Franklin met during through they met during the Victorian era. They were young and their courtship began in 1902 when Franklin was 20. He proposed in early 1903. They were an opposing match because Franklin loved his upper-class status, loved to socialize, uh, and Eleanor was quite shy by comparison. And their 40-year marriage, which is no small feat, began on March 15th, 1905, when he was 23. Eleanor did not have to change her last name. And why was that, Emily? (laughs) Because they both had the same last name because they were... Cousins! cousins. Yeah, they were cousins. And actually, it was quite interesting... 
Theodore Roosevelt was her uncle. And he oh, yeah, actually Theodore. Gave, I was like, what? She married her uncle? No, Theodore. The Theodore yeah, he Roosevelt. Gave her away. Was, he gave her away at her wedding while he was president, which I think is very interesting. I do think that I do think that's cool. But it also just shows you, like, a lot of times I think about people when they're, like, before their presidents— you know, before, like you think about like the Obamas when they were in their twenties, and like you know their their lives were not like in the presidential spot. But this, like, she grew up in the presidential, like she was born into the presidency, basically. So she totally. was around she that was, politics her whole life. Yeah, her whole life. Yeah. And so Sarah Roosevelt, who was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's mother, did not approve of his marriage to Eleanor, and. Sarah Sarah Roosevelt was a very possessive, domineering mother, and this continued the rest of her life until she passed yeah. away. Because Think of uh, Bates, <laughs> right? And yeah, Franklin was her only child, and she called him her dearest Franklin. One really fun but scandalous little tidbit that I found out was that. Sarah's father made his money in the opium trade in China. Oh. So for all like her high class society, you know, upper crust, they made their money in the opium trade. So is that how the Roosevelt's made their money? Like Theodore No, Roosevelt? she she was she was a Delano. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's still from oh. a still still from, you know, blue blood blue blood family, but yes. That's funny. Right? And so she was the parent in his life. Uh, Eleanor said in her biography, Mrs. James Roosevelt was sorry for me, I think. <laughs> and Sarah felt that Franklin was too young. She tried to break off their engagement uh, like multiple times. But I don't like her. She's she didn't she didn't pers- right. And you saw those photos, right, Emily? You saw that photo where she she was in between the couple. I don't actually think I did. There's this photo inside the Franklin and Eleanor and Extraordinary Marriage, and it shows Franklin and Eleanor sitting with all their kids and his mother's in between them. I mean, that's like it looks like the most unhappy family photo I've ever seen. Yeah. They had a, yeah, she was weird. So after their marriage, their couple moved into the, Roosevelt estate in the Hudson Valley, which was Franklin's family estate and owned by his mother, Sarah. They also had a townhouse in New York City, which was renovated and decorated by Franklin and his mother. And that just immediately, okay, Emily and I have both disavowed Sex in the City now, but like that just makes me think of Bunny Bunny. and Trey. Oh, I hate Trey. Completely, right? We all, yeah, yeah. The only, the only good one's Harry. We've already talked about this. So I'm like, so it probably had mallard ducks in it. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor had a gardener. Right. I mean, that's totally. not that far from the truth. We'll get into it. <laughs> I'm so excited to learn. <laughs> and it was actually um, Sarah Franklin's mother's home until she died in 1941. And she was lady of the house until then. So that this is happening in like 1915. So th- this is decades that Eleanor pretty much had the home that her and her family and her children resided in for like huge chunks of time resided over by a woman she was not very fond of. Yeah, honestly, the bunny comparison I think is really good because that's it is. like, I didn't think about that before, but that's like totally accurate. And you can, I mean, it's understandable that Eleanor didn't feel at home in either 
property, like the the townhouse in New York or the Springwood estate in the Hudson River Valley. And Sarah's large presence was impossible to escape. I also, and I think Emily would agree that the over-involvement of his mother was a really large strain on the marriage. Not the only strain, but a pretty large one. I mean, yeah, she like lived with them pretty much like a lot. Yeah. And she was really overbearing. It wasn't just like, oh, my mother-in-law lives with us. It's like, oh, my mother-in-law lives with us. Like, I mean, and Franklin always tried to make her happy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. They had a weird relationship. Seriously, like Bates Motel or whatever. That's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's I think this? okay. Yeah, yeah. Talk about yeah. talk about marriage, babies. <laughs> so throughout their marriage, they had six children, one of who di- whom died as a baby, and we'll get into it. Eleanor spent the beginning of their marriage at home, caring for the children, while Franklin was occupied with graduating from Harvard Law School, passing the bar, and running for and winning a seat in the state senate. His attention must have been pretty divided because he became assistant secretary of the Navy before his last two children were born during World War One. So he was he was always gone. Like he was gone a lot. He was and he was always busy. And when he was home, he was restless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Eleanor found out that she was pregnant three days after her 21st birthday. She at this point, she was relieved because she didn't she was pretty anxious that she wouldn't be able to have children. And she really didn't want to disappoint, disappoint Sarah and FDR. And I think it's worth mentioning. And I I know I'll touch on this several times, but Eleanor had like pretty low self-esteem because everyone kind of treated her like an ugly duckling, her mom, her grandmother, everyone until she went to like she went to boarding school. She had a really amazing um, influence teacher was actually I believe she was gay. Um, but she was one of her first, like, influence teachers. And European, correct? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, like, even when um, Eleanor came out, she said she, like, had this debutante ball that was forced on her by her grandmother. But she was like, the ball was beautiful, but I didn't like it because, you know, she didn't know anyone. And she always, like, she was forced into, like, being the center of society. And she, I think, was, like, really just an introvert. And I can relate super hard to that. <laughs> I, like, mm-hmm. would hate it a lot if I had to do that. So the start of her pregnancy was actually the start of her feeling like she was losing herself. She spent all day with her mother-in-law and she wrote, quote, I was growing very dependent on my mother-in-law, requiring her help on almost every subject and never thought of asking anybody for anything, which I felt would not meet with her approval. Anna Eleanor was born in 1906. So that was their first daughter or actually only daughter. The rest were sons. Eleanor had never really had a maternal figure and so she didn't and she never really like had much of a desire to be a mother. I kind of think that that's probably because she was forced into it at age 10, like caring for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I feel like it could go either way, but like, you know, having feeling responsible for a child at that young of age, you'd probably be like, okay, right. And also not (laughs) every not every person feels maternal or should be maternal. And that's okay. I'm really maternal to cats <laughs> um, and my dog. Uh, she had a hard time with and my plants, who are almost dead. Matt watered our plants for 20. He, he bought and watered our plants for a whole day. They're supposed to be in there for half an hour. <laughs> so um, Eleanor had a hard time with breastfeeding. So Anna was bottle fed, which I actually think was like pretty common back then. But oh, my God. Okay. Don't get too upset at this part because okay. I got really upset at this part. But just just warning you, this is okay. some pretty terrible advice on how to treat a child. Just so everyone knows, don't ever do any of the things I'm about to tell you that a doctor told Eleanor to do. So this Dr. Holt thought, and this is a quote from uh, the book, Eleanor, Franklin Eleanor, quote, 
Crying was good. It is the baby's exercise. Babies should never be kissed. Grave diseases may be communicated this way. And whatever the weather, babies need an airing for several hours a day. The cure for thumb sucking was to be was to tie an infant's arms to its sides at night, and so on. End quote. Yeah, that, and she she didn't know like she was getting this advice from a doctor, and she followed it. Um, she would hang her baby out the window in a basket for several hours a day, and it was like drafty. The baby I mean, was crying, and we you, also you don't know. Like, we also, but we also have to like. That was very common for the day. Oh, I'm not judging her. I'm I'm more judging the doctor. Yeah, well, I'm not I really mean, judging her. I mean, <laughs> and also it's like sometimes I like to wonder like how did anybody live through the early 1900s, even the 1980s? Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I know. no, I'm not really judging her. I mean, her mm-hmm. because she was following the advice of like, you know, at, at that point, like a man who's in charge, a doctor, you're, you're not going to like, people didn't question doctors back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so she actually did this like frequently until a neighbor threatened to call CPS and Eleanor, she had no idea. Well, not, it wasn't CPS, but basically the equivalent of CPS in mm-hmm. 1906. She actually had no idea that she was doing it. She was like shocked that this was like not right. Cause she thought she was doing being a modern mother. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. In 1907, she found out she was pregnant again. And she gave birth to a son named James. He was in poor health when he was born, and he got pneumonia in 1908, but he recovered. Later that fall, Eleanor found that she was struggling, and she didn't know why. She wrote, quote, That autumn, I did not quite know what was wrong with me, but I remember that a few weeks after we moved into the house in East 65th Street, I sat in front of my dressing table and wept. And when my bewildered young husband asked me what on earth was wrong with me, I said, I did not like to live in a house which was not in any way mine, one that I had done nothing about and which did not represent the way I wanted to live. And then six months later, her son FDR Jr. was born. Mm. And he died just seven months later of endocarditis. So that's an inflammation uh, of the heart, of the muscle right around the heart. Eleanor blamed herself as she did most things she really internalized a lot of things and anything that went wrong, she felt like it was her fault. I mean, her entire life, she did that, yeah. She did, yeah. To make, this is so sad, to make matters and grief worse, she found out she was pregnant again one month after her son's death. Mm. I know. And so, which is heartbreaking, I know. And, you know, she was still in mourning, of course. She had three more sons, so one in 1910, 1914, and 1916, Eleanor famously said that she didn't enjoy sex and it's something that FDR's biographers have like glommed onto to sympathize with him, which is like, Ugh. whatever, fuck you. But also like we can think, and they, they made this point in the book. She made this point, like sex was associated with pregnancy at this point. So like a lot of women, it's like, there wasn't a lot of contraceptive. So it's like, no, yeah. If you have like, especially after going through the trauma of that, like you don't necessarily want kids. Then trauma of losing dies. a child. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also, if you consider the fact that Eleanor, like, may also have been gay, which is very disputed, understandably, like, sex with a man may not have been pleasurable. And also, I kind of think, like, not you know, every sex woman is, likes, not every woman enjoys no. penetrative sex, and that's okay, too. No, that's okay, too. And also, like, there weren't, the womanizer wasn't invented at that point. Uh <laughs> Which is the best invention that's ever existed. I'm but, like uh, talking about a sex toy, everyone. Oh, Not yeah. like a man who womanizes, but a sex no, toy. No, yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the best. It's literally, I think I have convinced like 10 of my friends to do it. So, 
um, sponsor us. <laughs> uh, I've been, I've been promoting you guys for years for free. <laughs> so, you, you know, and it's also like, I think that sex, like the sexual revolution is really recent in our history. So it's like sex wasn't enjoyable for a lot of people. Like, I mean, I feel like I, I didn't enjoy sex for uh, like a while when I was like younger. And I feel like that mm-hmm. could have been, you know, the thing with her too. Like it's understandable. There wasn't lube, but there wasn't all this stuff. And yeah, it's, it's completely understandable that she would have had so a many factors. Eleanor hired Lucy Mercer as a social secretary in 1914 when she was five months pregnant. Was this with her fifth child? Fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Her, um, yeah. Fifth. Yeah. Lucy Mercer and FDR slowly began an affair which would last the rest of his life. This yeah. affair may have been before Eleanor and FDR's last child was born in Franklin and Eleanor. An extraordinary marriage. Uh, Hazel Rowley surmises that Eleanor hated being pregnant. And Emily just talked about that. And there were no more pregnancies uh, with Eleanor after the sixth one. And there wasn't a lot of contraception during that time. And so people are suggesting that the one way they achieved this was by being abstinent. Again, surmising. And so a lot of his male biographers or ugh, this grosses me out. But anyways, a lot of people say now that they excuse FDR and his behaviors with women and his affairs. They excuse it by this fact, saying that him and Eleanor were abstinent or that Eleanor was refusing him sex because she didn't want to get pregnant. And they're saying that that may have been the reason why this affair with Lucy Mercer began. Personally, I think that one woman's attention, not necessarily sexual attention, but attention was never enough for FDR. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so Lucy Page Mercer was working in a dress shop when Eleanor hired her. Lucy was slim, young, tall, from a good family, but she was penniless. And her father was a member of Theodore Roosevelt's Rough Riders, which I thought was just kind of a cool tip. Um, really cool. She, it is believed that the affair started when Eleanor and the children were off at their vacation home, which was, she was so fond of because it was like her home is actually in Canada. It was on a Canadian Island. Um, I live on a Canadian Island. Right. Oh, some Newfoundland dogs. Sorry. Oh, right. A Highland pony, Highland cow. <laughs> Uh, Lucy said that her and FDR were inextricably drawn to each other. Lucy also accompanied FDR and his summer yacht parties, which Eleanor disliked, which I now know the reason for, because Emily and I were trying to keep this as much of a surprise for the other one while we're covering kind of the same topic. So I never, I knew that Eleanor couldn't swim and she didn't like boats, but I didn't know why she didn't like boats. So that was cool. She Um, also didn't really like crowds or parties either. No. Like super introverted. The bourgeoisie. I mean, who does? (laughs) I I don't. I'm right there with you. I'm I'm literally hiding in my closet. So. (laughs) (laughs) And um, there's actually a story of a party at a city club where Eleanor left because she was not enjoying herself. But she, of course, urged FDR to stay. I talk about that party later. Blatantly danced with Lucy all night. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, we are going to talk about it. Like, here, I'll just talk about it now. It's in yeah, the next go ahead. Paragraph. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, please. The stupid. Her, so Eleanor had the stupid cousin Alice. 
who was like a bitch. And there's actually, I'll talk about it a little bit later. And but she was actually book- Theodore. She was Theodore's daughter, what? correct? Uh, Alice, Alice Roosevelt was was. Theodore's daughter. Mm -hmm. She was, but so I guess she was, yeah, she was really jealous of Eleanor and there's actually a book called Hissing Cousins. (laughs) I know I have to read it. I'm going to like, one of the authors, I have quotes from him later. So yeah, Alice was a fucking bitch. She was jealous of Eleanor and she said, so after this party, like Eleanor left and she went home and she got locked out of the house and they found her sitting on the porch and they were like, why didn't you go? And she's like, oh, I didn't want to wake the servants, which is like, okay, yeah, understandable. And they're like, why didn't you come back to the party? And she's like, because I hate parties and I don't want to be around you guys, which is also understandable. She didn't say that, but that's like what she was thinking. And Alice said that she wouldn't blame FDR for hitting his wife hard. Just yeah, like, I also I also have quotes from Alice later on oh, about yeah. what a butt she was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and Alice even said that FDR deserved a good time because he was married to El- Eleanor. And right. yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm filling up my wine if anyone is hearing this sound. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not seeing. Okay. <laughs> I brought my box in here. So Lucy resigned from her position as Eleanor's social secretary in 1917, and she joined the Navy. And I'm not saying that she joined the Navy as a secretary only for this reason, but I don't think it's any coincidence that FDR also became assistant secretary of the Navy, and then Lucy did this. I just, I I think it's, it's too much feasible. of a coincidence, right? right? They also- didn't really have a lot of alone time together because they were like, you know, he was a really always public eye. surrounded by people. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Especially. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, it's like, I'm not excusing him for his affairs, but you also have to think about like a lot of marriages at this point were, I don't like, I, I don't, I think they were a good partnership, but I don't think they were a good love necessarily match. marriage. Yeah. And I mean, they did really well with like what they had. They were really good partners, but they, yeah. but, but like as far as like romantically, yeah, politically they were, Especially but actually like, like later on. Yeah, I honestly, and I think if you're going to give FDR a pass for, for that, you also have to give Eleanor a pass, too. And because, like, you uh-huh. know, if they're in this loveless marriage, then they're both in it. Like, it goes, you know, it's a two-way tango. Takes two to tango. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I yeah. agree. I definitely agree. And yeah, when Lucy left, FDR was actually, like, really impatient with his wife and family life, and he wanted to be in Washington. And we see this a couple of times over. And mm-hmm. Lucy and FDR were, like, publicly together in Washington. And it honestly scandalized Washington because, like, little was done to hide it. We can't, like, it's hard to know if they ever had sex. They said that, you know, FDR was very, like, very, very aware and cautious of the fact that sex leads to pregnancy. Yeah, Um, they had, like, 100 kids. Right, and that... You know, he didn't want to ruin Lucy's reputation. He didn't want to ruin she was own. To be, Like, she was probably a virgin, right? Yeah, she they said that. Yeah, like they, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep, so I read that it, part. It doesn't know if this is just romantic, but um, Eleanor's cousin Alice had them over for dinner multiple times. Remember that quote that Emily said? Mm-hmm. You know, he deserved a good time because he married Eleanor, blah, blah, blah. She even, Alice even recounted a time where she saw them driving in the country and he was so focused on the lovely lady next to him, a.k.a. Lucy, that she didn't even notice. We'll also see that 
like driving a lovely lady through the country is a tradition that continued even after his paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice even tried to spill the beans to Eleanor and Eleanor basically stopped her. Like, I think she was getting a lot of hints of this, but Eleanor was kind of like, I, I want to wait like, till my husband tells me. Like, I trust yeah, him. Yeah. And she even told, she even, like, sent him a letter because they would, uh, they're always corresponding through letters. Like, hey, like, just so you know, like, she tried to tell me this and I said I don't want to, mm-hmm. like, she, I think she, again, with her self-esteem, she really felt like she wasn't beautiful and she kind of wanted to let him go off and, like, so as well. She felt that she felt from the beginning that FDR was too good for her and little did she know that she was miles too good for him. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I have been like, you've been my role model since I was 12 years old. So yeah. And you're still my role model. Right. Right. And so um, go ahead. Oh, okay. I'll take this. So yeah, Eleanor discovered the affair in 1918 because FDR was dumb enough to keep the saucy letters exchanged between him and Lucy. And, and it was luggage. a packet of saucy letters like I'm yeah. more than like three it was like dozens <laughs> yeah so and okay so Eleanor had rushed to see Franklin who was in the hospital with double pneumonia and she was unpacking his bags for him while he was like in the middle of being super sick and she found the letters which had basically all been destroyed now and the fair I mean we know about the fair a little bit but they attempted to just wipe it from history so there's really not that much known. I feel like I feel like what we know or at is least like, there's not a lot of like direct evidence. Yeah, there's known from like I, yeah, I feel like what we know is like what people saw and like we know that they were together and stuff. But like as far as the letters, like we have a lot of Eleanor's letters to different people and to Rose like Roosevelt, and a lot of that stuff is like pretty well documented. But this affair, I feel like they tried to kind of well, no, but erase it's also it. because it's, uh, it's also I mentioned it later, but Lucy Mercer. After Roosevelt passed away, she burned the letters. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I would too. Yeah. So Eleanor, Eleanor nursed him on his deathbed after this, and she was like, she was always there for him, always nursing him, and she fed him jelly, which I'm assuming is Jello, maybe not just like jars of jelly, but um, and she read to him while she he was sick, and this was like right after she had found out about this affair. So, and she said that she felt the world had dropped out from underneath her. She wanted a divorce, but I think it was more for him. Like, she offered him his freedom. Direct and she, yeah, Which is just and, so kind of her. Yeah. And his mother talked him out of it for the sake of, like, FDR's political image. I don't think she really cared about Eleanor. But the mother, she also threatened to disinherit him if he went through with this. There was some talk about um, between FDR and Lucy of marriage because they did love each other and suggested that Lucy wasn't interested in marrying a man with so many children. And Lucy was also very young. She was like 26, right? No, younger. Really? I thought she was younger. She was young. She was young. No, 26 sounds right. 26 is still young. Yeah, I I read it. It's still young. Yeah. He promised to never see Lucy again, but Eleanor didn't really ever forgive him. But in spite of this, he still called her Dearest Babs, and she called him Dearest Honey in their letters. I think Babs is so cute. It is really cute. That's your next kid's name. <laughs> Babette. <Yeah>, boy or girl. <laughs> oh, boy or girl. I don't care. Eleanor was having a hard time trusting him after this, understandably. She wrote in her journal that after that year, quote, all of my self-confidence is gone, and I'm on edge. And remember, she really didn't have much to begin with. In 1919, she became involved in women, like more involved in women's rights. 
she joined a group of women that were interested in the suffrages and there was a lot of out lesbians which again at this point this is 1919 that's like it's amazing <laughs> like that mm-hmm. these women you know and she, i think she really like it gave her a sense of this not traditional marriage and she was really like what if i hadn't gotten married so young and had the six kids she really started thinking about that but it really just it gave her something for herself back that she hadn't had you know she'd been with this husband super young with all these kids she never really felt like she was a mother she didn't yeah, feel she like was she able she him. was able to identify herself yeah. and like figure out who she was outside of a nuclear family yeah absolutely mm-hmm. okay so she eventually moved out of their home and established her own home outside of the one that was decorated by fdr and his mother was it val killa yeah and this was of course like this took years after this affair was discovered oh, yeah. but, like you know it the the process started and it wasn't after. like it wasn't them separating us so much it was just her having her like it was a kind of like a house that was for her and she didn't yeah. live into it. She didn't live in it till like much later. Yeah, and she even at some point she lived with a like a lesbian couple there, and they had all of their uh, initials monogrammed on towels together, which I think is amazing. So the Roosevelts always had a community of neighbors and friends around them, so this probably didn't seem weird. They always had guests staying with them, and that's when their marriage became one that wasn't based on love, but more like a political partnership. So mm-hmm. from this point on, most sources either portray FDR as a man obsessed with his ego and Eleanor as masculine, hard woman with no warmth. She always felt like an outsider because she didn't get along in parties. She was hard on herself and really felt it in a lot of ways. She internalized it. So they like one thing they argued about was his cocktails, which were like a mix of rum, gin, vermouth, and fruit juice. And they were always super strong. And let's remind you, this was... During Prohibition. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Well, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, yeah. Was, I think at this, I think the, the cocktails I know he did in the presidency too, but I think, yeah, he probably had them for a long no, time. No, but like right, but right now, yeah, it's still yeah, during Prohibition. prohibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they argued about his, oh, so they argued about his cocktails. And I, so when I read about this, this was like during his presidency and stuff, but I'm sure he did this before, but he would like push his, push the cocktails on his friends. And they, a lot, like there's, stories about you know people coming over to the white house and dumping the drinks in the plants because like they didn't want them but eleanor never drank so she would always like observe this but she just she really she always internalized the fact too that she didn't drink she was like she really felt hard she's like i wish i wasn't like this i wish i you know i wish i wasn't such a stick in the mud that sort of mm-hmm. thing it's like it's you know yeah and definitely she was, she was yeah, she was really progressive, and she pushed his entire political career to be more progressive. Mm-hmm. From and as the El- beginning, and even more so when he was president. Yeah, and as Eleanor even more famously said, I have the memory of an elephant. I can forgive, but never forget. And, of course, she's talking about his affair. Yep. <laughs> and so Lucy went from being the governess to the wife of a wealthy, older New York socialite with six children. Ironic. Right. And he, her husband had the children from his previous marriage with his deceased wife. And he was later, like 20 years older than her, right? 27. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I Lucy, like, go ahead. I like, oh, I was going to say, I like that, um, When I was reading that part that Eleanor wrote to her mother, like she just dropped it in like, oh, I hope you're having a good summer or her mother-in-law. 
Like, I hope you're having a good summer. And did you see that Lucy just Mary, got married? Right. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It was just, it was so, it was like, I just related to that letter so much. I know. It's like, I I'm not passive aggressive. I'm just informative. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is interesting. <laughs> right. And yeah. then uh, Lucy and her husband ended up having just one biological daughter together. And also during this time, the Roosevelt's hired Marguerite Lahand, who we will refer to from here on as Missy, because that's what the Roosevelt children called her. I think she is actually oh, just a okay. really cool person. She was FDR's private secretary for 21 years, including while he was pregnant. She was really liked by El- <laughs> Oh, gosh. What did I say? I'm tipsy. You said pregnant. Dude, pregnancy's on the freaking mind right now because of Eleanor. While yes. he was president, not <laughs> pregnant. Okay. Um, we wish men could get pregnant. We wish, right? Oh, dude, I would have like seven children right now if my husband could get pregnant. Um, <laughs> so she was, Missy was actually like loved by Eleanor and FDR. She was so uncompromisingly loyal to the Roosevelt's, especially to FDR. And she became the most amazing secretary the world has ever seen. Like I, when you read the stories about how competent she was, it's crazy. And she actually admired Eleanor and defended her constantly, especially because, you know, of course, Eleanor, let me just like, you know, draw a little allegory, a little metaphor to uh, <laughs> Hillary Clinton, no matter what she did, no matter what she said, no matter what she wore, she was picked on and made fun of. Because, of mm-hmm. course, she was a woman that posed a threat. Yeah. And, and Eleanor wrote some emails, too. <laughs> uh, let's, she wrote columns. Yeah. Columns. I know. Actually, columns. I I actually will talk about um, Hillary. And, like, there, it got compared to the New York Times article, right? too. So, but, yeah. though, isn't it, mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's just so, like, obvious in my mind. But also, Missy uh, Lahand also is the only woman to really be in the same position as White House chief of staff. But of course, that position wasn't created until the 1950s. So this is earlier than that. Mm -hmm. And I think Emily can attest that um, the quality that FDR prized most in his wife, his children, his companions, family, friends was loyalty and discretion. Hmm. And yeah, if you're cheating a lot, you want discretion. Right. Many of his staff took their secrets to the grave. Letters from FDR to his mistresses, like Emily was saying, they're so hard to come by because they were destroyed. That's why it took so long for the public to learn about his affairs. And the specifics are still not known. And yeah, it's kind of like the JFK thing was like Judith Exner. Right? No, totally. I, I think everyone agree. denied it until she literally like pulled out all the receipts and was like, here you go. Like and actual dec- literal decades, receipts. Yeah. Decades later. Yeah, yeah. Always keep your receipts. <laughs> right? And they're saying that, you know, besides Eleanor, we'll never know FDR's true feelings for the other woman in his life, which they, oh, I couldn't even keep up with them. There were so many. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. So now we're getting into just a touch of history. After much success with the Navy and a failed campaign running for vice president, Franklin and Eleanor and the kids were vacationing at their home vacation home in 1921, where he felt really ill. This event, not really his affair with Lucy, shaped his marriage with Eleanor. So at first, 
they thought he had the flu because there was an influenza epidemic going around. But then he experienced ascending paralysis, so, you know, paralysis that was going down, facial paralysis, numbness, bowel, and, you know, just he experienced bowel, all the dysfunctions, <laughs> to name a few. Um, one thing that I thought was really cool was that during this time, Eleanor was not a nurse, but she learned how to properly insert his catheter. And until a nurse came to start taking care of him day and night, which was not for a couple of weeks, Eleanor did it day and night yeah. while taking care of their children. She, like mm-hmm. beast, beast. I know. Yeah. The, the inserting the catheter is like. Right. I was just so impressed by that. I don't know why that really impressed me. but No, it's really, it, that is really impressive. And so he was diagnosed with an extreme case of polio and he remained in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, He was only 39 when this happened. Missy, you know, after he had a nurse, after like, you know, he stabilized, Missy pretty much became his daily companion because as we know, Eleanor was really busy with a lot of causes and a lot of movements and projects of her own. And they also had the children and also, I think it should be noted, Franklin was extremely sensitive about his his paralysis and his immobility. And it's actually called the great discretion because the American public never really knew to the extent in which he was paralyzed. They knew that he had polio. He was really careful that he was never photographed in his wheelchair um, and the photographs that we're used to seeing of him in his wheelchair now were private photographs that weren't released until later, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, he was he was very self-conscious about it. Yeah, and Missy was a great help to him at this time. I'll go into that later. But everyone always knew that Missy was around when he was laughing. She, until the day she died, called him FD hmm. fondly, which I think is really cute. I actually really, really like Missy. I know, I do too. So when he came down with this, uh, with polio, everyone was very stressed, obviously. They had uh, Louis Howe, who was later his campaign manager and was a friend to both of them, living with them. Um, Eleanor was sleeping in one of the children's rooms and getting dressed in the bathroom. And Anna became very jealous of Louis Howe, so that's their daughter, because she saw Eleanor giving him much more attention and warmth than she ever gave her children. Eleanor was having a hard time. She even broke down crying. And I mean, think how much pressure she was, but she like talks about how she was like reading her kids a book and she just started sobbing, couldn't like stop. She so showed so much strength. And I like this. I like this line a lot. So quote from the onset of this terrible crisis, Eleanor had understood that Franklin did not want pity. He wanted hope. He did not want to be treated as an invalid. And she made sure that the family never treated him like one. And that's from the book. Mm. that we've been quoting. So Eleanor worked tirelessly to assure that he had the help he needed and the hope. One of the rare times Eleanor won against her mother-in-law was when it, Franklin. Yeah. Sued. Yeah. This mother-in-law. Was when, yeah. Um, Franklin remained in politics. Thanks to hers, Marguerite and many others urging FDR's doctors even said that his mental health was owed almost entirely to Eleanor who never made him feel sick. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. But there was a huge stigma at this time. Against people that had disabilities. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, totally. And even just like, we even today never say invalid. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because nobody's an invalid. Or crippled. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And Sarah, 
who was Franklin's overbearing mother, wanted Franklin to really return to Hyde Park, which is the Hudson Valley River home. And she wanted him just to live as an invalid for the rest of his life under her supervision, which is what she did to his father after he Mm -hmm. experienced about was it was it heart attack stroke something like that but yeah he Mm -hmm. was she treated his father the exact same way and i was just even saying like how different would history have been if he listened to his mother like it would know right and so then because of his paralysis fdr spent four months of each winter in the mid-1920s on a rented houseboat in the florida in in Florida, on the coast, which sounds amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. During these times, Missy lived with him. She oversaw his physical therapy. Eleanor actually really appreciated Missy because she didn't have to be there for all mm-hmm. of these times. She could, like I was saying, pursue her own things, take care of the children. And I also didn't think that Eleanor never really had a problem with Missy fawning over him and making him feel like a man again because, like, you were saying Eleanor knew that he was depressed mm-hmm. during this time. And together, uh, FDR and Missy founded the first polio rehabilitation center in the country. It was suggested that there a romantic attachment between FDR and Missy formed, but it's, it's yeah. Missy was cute. She was stylish. She was adoring of FDR, but Missy always is seen as showing the strong feelings and FDR is extremely loyal to her and extremely appreciative, but it's never really shown back. But Missy dealt with these feelings of repressed love for a married man twice her age for the rest of her life. And I think it had Mm -hmm. some very strong mental effects on her, Mm -hmm. but like just to even show how much she was there and how much she was loyal to FDR. So It is said that FDR was away from home 116 weeks between 1925 and 1928. Missy was there with him for 110 of them, while Eleanor was only with him for four of them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, of course, he was being paid to be there for him. But you could see, like, as we continue their story, Missy is there for him beyond payment. Mm-hmm. Like her loyalty goes beyond payment. So Eleanor uh, accepted that she could not fill his every need, which I think is like extremely progressive of her. I think they just yeah. had like a really kind of cool open marriage. That's how I kind of read their marriage. I don't know. It kind of seems like an open marriage. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And she, her a quote that she said um, in her book, You Learn by Living, which, amen. Um, she said, you must learn to allow someone else to meet the need without bitterness or envy and accept it. Honestly, I think that philosophy allowed her to pursue other relationships in her life, not necessarily always romantic or sexual, but other friendships, other, she had time for other things. Cause if she was always taking care of FDR, she wouldn't have time to do the amazing things that she did. Yeah. And also during this time, FDR Started up his correspondence with Lucy Mercer again. <laughs> and he, he was de- married, right? Yeah. So she was like Lucy Winthrop or Lucy oh, yeah. Winthrop Mercer or yeah, some nonsense or other. Yeah. Something. And so he dedicated the copy of his first public speech after he was paralyzed to her. Um, mm-hmm. It's dis- And this part's really sad. It is suggested that Missy discovered the continued correspondence between Lucy and FDR. And as we know, 
she definitely had some repressed romantic feelings for him, and she had a major mental breakdown in 1927. Mm -hmm. They treated her with foxgloves. What are foxgloves? I saw that in there. Flowers. Poisonous. What? Yeah, they're poisonous. Have people... Okay, medical medical advancement has come so far. All right. Exactly. And again, like I was saying, I think it was her strong emotions and constant dedication to a man she couldn't have combined with the extreme stress of her career. Her mental... Yeah. State, right? Right? And her mental yeah. state was so bad that they said that she had a complete personality reversal and she was childlike. They didn't, she wasn't allowed to have sharp objects. And this continued for nine months. I mean, honestly, like. And we're not, <sighs> we're, we're not therapists here. This is. Just, no, we're not know. therapists, but we both dealt a lot with mental health in our own personal lives. And honestly, like, you know, mental health has come a long way. It still has a long way to go, like the recognition of it. But it's just like, I know we've come a long way. But when I hear about this stuff, about people suffering with mental health, it's just like, oh, it's like, it chills me because I just. Yeah, I understand going through anxiety and depression, and I was very lucky to have the support I needed through all that. And I just can't imagine, right? Like not having that, or someone like trying to give me poison to make me feel better. Yeah, it's- totally. And she had had a private world with FDR, which yeah. was the man she adored to the point of loving. You know, taking care of him and just being with him daily like that. And she knew that that world was changing because mm-hmm. in 1929, he won the election to become the governor of New York, which was the most populated state in the nation. Yeah. And Eleanor had always been a strong political partner, but it was when that he was governor that their political relationship really developed. While she still had the duties of a governor's wife, she could have her own political agenda, which I'm like, props to FDR, because he really, really gave her room for that. And she really, she did so much. And Missy actually lived with them in the governor's mansion and acted as hostess when Eleanor was not around. She did that even when FDR was in the White House. And Missy was with him from the minute he woke up to the minute he went to bed, of course, taking correspondence, you know, taking care of all his needs. But when one of Eleanor's closest friends was asked if Marguerite Missy was FDR's mistress, Eleanor's friend replied, oh, no, he loves Missy. She's quite essential to him. But as an affair, no. Was this a cover? We do not know. Um, We do not know if Missy and FDR ever had sex. Of course, his condition is something to be considered because, you know, he was paralyzed. paralyzed, right? We don't know if he was it was he yeah, paralyzed we don't way down? No, no, no. Yeah. He so wasn't? His legs, you know, he could walk with great effort. Okay, so we don't know. We no, don't we know don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Functioning. Yeah. And okay. then, of course, he was elected in 1932 as president during the Great Depression and his New Deal platform of relief, recovery, and reform led him to secure all but six states, which is insane when you think about Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, he, And he arranged for Lucy to be there to see him swear in as president. But Eleanor was standing by him. Always. 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 Yeah. She did become an amazing first lady, but she mourned the loss of her private life. She said she never wanted to be a president's life. wife. Despite this, the White House was a bright place of life and laughter while they were there. They they both, like, she was shy, but she loved to be around, like, close friends, and they enjoyed, like, people and entertaining. And it said that they 
you know, they thrived in the chaos of the White House. And it said they had their friends sleep across the hallway from them. And they would just come, like, walk into their room in pajamas at all hours of the night, which I thought was funny. And, like, the one word to describe the White House while they were there is vibrant. Don't you think that word a lot is vibrant? Mm-hmm. The White House was vibrant. I'm like, yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> but I thought yeah. one thing that I thought was like really interesting that I did not know was that 17 days before his inauguration, Franklin survived an assassin, uh, assassination attempt by Giuseppe Zangara, which was, he was an Italian anarchist, but he missed and actually killed the Chicago mayor that was sitting next to Franklin and injured four others. He fired I five did not shots know that. and he missed. Yeah. Like again, he missed five how, times. Yes. And again, I was that guy hired, like hired I don't someone know. else. I don't think he was hired, but also he they said it. he was only five foot tall and he had to stand on a chair behind huge groups of people. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had his height working against him. Oh my God. Uh, but again, we all know. FDR was a mythical president. Of course, he had some problematic, but I, I, I think we can all agree that he was one of our best presidents. He oversaw every part of his administration, sometimes overreaching his power. I will agree to that. And he did a lot of things unconventionally, but he inspired loyalty with his optimism optimism and perseverance he was not a month in office when he signed the cullen harrison act which ended prohibition cheers to that yep oh cheers also yeah i mean he was drinking those like jungle juices right and again he loved to drink during his children's hour his children hour which was very famous actually which was actually when he would ring a buzzer after like you know the day's work was done and he would relax but still kind of powwow with his colleagues and his favorite drink he called a horse neck which is this is so funny because when my husband drinks this is what he drinks but it was ginger ale and whiskey yeah it's just like a it's um it's like a mule if with ginger beer, no, it's it uh, yeah, no. I was gonna say it was a whiskey ginger, but I say it's like a, oh no, a highball. It's not a highball. I don't know. I I'm I haven't worked in a bar in six months. I forgot. I don't. I don't know how to pour any drinks except for box wine anymore. Um, Great it serves you. Yeah. But throughout an extremely first busy first, second, and third term, he was so 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 busy creating unprecedented amounts of legislation, including creating many programs we use today, a.k.a. Social Security, National Parks, and of course, starting to get involved with the events leading up to World War II. So Eleanor was there to provide all the support. She was the first first lady to hold press conferences and the first to speak at a national convention, and she didn't even... uh, Oh, this is this is a snarky comment I, I made her. And she didn't even steal any of the other first ladies' speeches when she made her own. Oh my um, gosh, imagine that. I know, weird. She wrote a column my day, and she was the first to host a radio show weekly. Not one for wage gaps. Eleanor worked hard to earn the same salary as her husband. She that was like her goal. She's like, okay, he makes seventy five thousand dollars a year, which was you know a lot more at that time. But she, so she made that much money, and then she gave most of it to charity because she's a fucking badass, oh, freaking saint. I know. She was also made an honorary member of Phi Beta Kappa, and I was like, I think that's the one I I'm in, but it's Phi. 
Phi Theta Kappa, I think, it's the community <laughs> college one. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Eleanor got in the trenches, literally, visiting veterans, singing songs with them after they'd been hit with tear gas after a march on Washington for their bonus checks. Is there a hot dog here? I don't know. I think so. Hold on. No, it's not here. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the marchers was quoted as saying, Hoover sent the army, Roosevelt sent his wife, which I love because Hoover had set in the, like, National Guard to, to disperse tear gas them, mm-hmm. which I I love that quote because you know she was an army, she was a vocal civil rights activist even at this time in the forties. She advocated for the New Deal to adopt more equal measures for people of color, and she was one of the only people doing at this time doing that at this time. Obviously, she she championed the anti lynching bill, which of course, of yeah. course, like was one of the few things that. FTR didn't support, you know, screw him. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was her. It was she, her. Yeah. She even made history by she invited um, a lot of children who were um, like children of color into the White House. Mm-hmm. And that was like that wasn't done at that time. Yeah. And even I mean, com- and even like communist youth leaders mm-hmm. to her famous yeah. picnics. Like, I want to be invited to one of those. <laughs> yeah. So she said, quote, I am doing all I can without being accused of trying to run FDR. To Lorena Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Hitchcock? Hitchcock. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. AKA. Just like Hillary. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Lorena Hitchcock was an Associated Press reporter who was covering the Roosevelt campaign. Lorena brought some peace of mind to Eleanor. Lorena or Hick fell in love with Eleanor and gave up her position at the newspaper because she couldn't cover someone she had feelings for. And uh, Lorena Hick... Hick or Lorena, it's worth noting, was an actual outlet. Well, she was an out lesbian and in the 40s. So Eleanor arranged for Hick to work for the head of the New Deal. And the two of them became best friends, confidants. And regardless of whether or not their relationship was sexual, they had an intimacy that Eleanor just didn't have with FDR. Mm-hmm. Susan Quinn, the author of Eleanor and Hick, describes their relationships in further detail. So Eleanor and Hick went on a road trip together where they could be together, just the two of them. They, I think, I didn't read this this time, but when I looked in them in previous... I'm just thinking of Thelma and Louise. Sorry. I am too. I know. And they, like, I guess they... Oh, my cheese is right here. I was, like, trying to eat it. Um, they, like, sent all the security guards away because they're like, we're both six feet tall. Like, who is going to mess with us? Right. <laughs> so, and Eleanor wrote to Hick, quote, no one is just what you are to me. Hick was the one who encouraged Eleanor to turn her life into a newspaper column, My Day, which was widely popular. And Eleanor and Hick spent all of their time together. She came over to their dinner every Sunday night. Eleanor even wore a sapphire ring gifted to her by Hick at the inauguration. And she allegedly had a fo- photograph of Hick in her study, which she kissed every night and morning. So... There's a lot of people, no one knows what to think about this. So like biographers are, are really in a dispute about it. A lot of people think that Eleanor was gay, but then a lot of people also say, oh, well, she had gay friends, which it's like, she, that doesn't that make doesn't, you gay. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't like a lesbian by proxy. And so here's a quote from biographer Doris Keene Goodwin about their relationship, which I may not be able to get through without crying. <laughs> I mm-hmm. cried, but I quote, Hick. I don't know. This makes me cry every time. Hick longed to kiss the soft spot at the corner of Eleanor's mouth. Eleanor yearned to hold Hick close. Hick despaired at being away from Eleanor. Eleanor wished she could lie down beside Hick and take her in her arms. (laughs) 
Day after day, month after month, the tone of the letters on both sides remains firm and loving. I know. I mm-hmm. So I told you, this is where I cried. Um, they, yeah. So regardless of whether or not they actually had, you know, I've also read things where Eleanor said she couldn't return Hicks, you know, feelings, but I think Eleanor loved her whether or not it was like in a sexual way. I think that they really loved each other as friends. And I, I mean, I can understand like, that. Yeah. Was on friends, right? I know. Yeah. I was thinking that she was like, she wore a sapphire ring. And I was like, I'm literally wearing the bracelet you gave me like right now. <laughs> so here's some other quotes from their, their letters. So try not to cry. Quote. Hick, darling. Ah, oh, how good it was to hear your voice. It was so inadequate to try and tell you what it meant. Funny was that I couldn't say je t'aime et j'adore as I long to do, which is I like you and I love you. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's where it came from Parks and Rec, maybe. Um, <laughs> but always remember, I am saying it, that I go to sleep thinking of you. And then another one. Hick, darling. Oh, I want... Oh, I want to put my arms around you. I ache to hold you close. Your ring is a great comfort. I look at it and think, she does love me, or I wouldn't be wearing it. Oh. I know. Her son writes it off as it being the era of writing letters. And I understand a close relationship. You're the era of writing letters. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I know. I don't like denies it. I mean, I like, again, like, I was like, I feel like we have, like, a friendship that's, like, as close as theirs was. And... that no one can understand. Oh, no one. I know. <laughs> and, you know, I also think we need to consider the possibility that, like, she could have been trapped in a loveless marriage in an era when homophobia was rampant. And she was born into a family where she really didn't have a choice. She, like, she she was, like, born to be first lady. You know, she was just... So, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd like to think that... I'd like to think that... And I'm nodding. They were lovers. I'm nodding. Yeah. You can't see it, but I'm nodding. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that they were able to. So, and since then, she has, Eleanor has been championed as a gay rights icon. Alice, who is stupid, and Alice was like her cousin. So, Alice was actually a self titled honorary homosexual, which, like, fuck you, Alice, says, I don't care what they say. I simply cannot believe that Eleanor Roosevelt is a lesbian. And, like, Alice is honestly the worst. So, we've um, already discussed how she's yeah. like, She's the worst. Um, (laughs) There are many debates because there's also passages where she says she can't return the love of Hick for one reason or another, which honestly, I I honestly kind of feel like it's because of where she was in the White House. But so here's a quote from HuffPost article that's written by Mark Pizer and Timothy Dwyer. So Timothy Dwyer is author of the Hissing Cousins books. I have a lot of quotes coming up and I just, I really liked a lot of them, which is why I included a lot of quotes. I think a lot of them are really eloquently written. So quote, the irony is that Eleanor Roosevelt deserves to be a gay icon, even if she was hundred percent straight. Homosexuality may have been stigmatized, even criminalized during her lifetime, but that didn't stop her from befriending gay women regardless of what people thought of them or her. We'll probably never know if Eleanor shared their sexual orientation or if she just admired independent women. Whatever the case, her refusal to let the morals of the day define her was a remarkable kind of heroism, almost like a one-woman gay-straight alliance. End quote. So I think that's like a really good point because it's like, you know, regardless of whether or not she was gay or bisexual, you know, she really did. She like, you know, there was a lot of women in the the women rights rights women who were out lesbians, which I think is amazing. And Mm -hmm. I would like to look into more of those women. Mm -hmm. 
and maybe, yeah, maybe we can do some episodes on them. But so Amanda Vale of the New York Times writes about the book Eleanor and Hick, quote, it provides helpful context in this electoral season. So this is in 2016 or 15 when this was written, but before the last election, when a former first lady has become the first female presidential nominee of a major party and the male nominee of the other party has belittled a female reporter for, in his own words, having blood coming out of her wherever. It's too bad Lorena Hickok isn't still around. She'd have slugged him. I know <laughs> you're making a really big face. I'm making my angry beaver face. I know it was an angry beaver face, but you I know what? Like you know that- what? I'd like my blood to just come all over him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're gonna carry explicit, him. explicit, explicit. Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, so I just like that part. Of, I just like imagining Loretta Hickok punching Trump. So. Eleanor has been linked romantically also with her bodyguard, Earl Miller. Mm. So I I really hope that they were because, honestly, I think she just got so much more out of these relationships than she did with FDR. Like, with these, like with Hick and, like, with, like, Earl Miller and even with, um, what's his face, the other guy, Lou. Lou. How? Yeah, I feel yeah. like she actually felt like she... She felt loved and she felt beautiful, and, and I appreciated really it. And Ital- yes. Intel- yes, yes, yeah. Her son James wrote like later, quote, er- Earl quote encouraged her to take pride in herself, to be herself, to be unafraid of facing the world. He did a lot for her. She seemed to draw strength from him when he was by her side, and she came to rely on him. He became part of the family too, and gave her a great deal of what her husband and we, her sons, failed to give her. Above all, he made her feel that she was a woman. And mm-hmm. I just, I really like that. So it seems that romantically and perhaps physically, Eleanor was not getting what she needed from FDR. Um, again, she never felt beautiful. She, he was always chasing beautiful younger women, and mm-hmm. she let him because she felt that he deserved that, which it just it breaks my heart because, like, I, I like can understand. I that also feeling. feel like she sacrificed that because she knew. She, I feel like she was compensating for his paralysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially later. Uh, the, mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, they were an amazing team together, but romantically, political team. Yeah, they were a good team. Yeah, mm-hmm. but romantically and sexually, it doesn't seem like they're on the same page. Mm-hmm. So Miller always called her the lady. And he, I know, he was their partner on the field. So FD, oh, I don't like this, but FDR called her his eyes and his legs, which I think is so stupid. But mm-hmm. he would send, yeah, I know, you're making your face again. I'm just would, like, I was just wondering if it was like a compliment in a way because she could move and she was very observant. No, I honestly just thought of it as like it was the 40s, like she was a woman. And I don't think he saw, I don't think FDR saw her in that way, though. Because he let her do things that no other president has let the first lady do. That's true. I, I don't think mm-hmm. he really saw her sexual. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I still don't like it, but that's a good point. Um, but Eleanor, so he, uh, Miller was hired as her like driver bodyguard. Mm-hmm. And uh, like FDR would go do whatever. And Eleanor and Miller were like out in the field. They were going to prisons and they were talking to the prisoners and so the superintendents. So they were really like talking to people and finding yeah. out stories. Yeah. And they were like in these like miners towns and in these towns, like impoverished towns, they were actually like, talking to people. Earl made her feel beautiful. He made her laugh. He taught her how to smile on camera. She never, she was really mm-hmm. self-conscious about her. She teeth. had the most beautiful smile. I know. I love he's, her. He's, she, she's so infectious. Oh, yeah. I know. 
I'm gonna get let's get like post oh, let's get tattoos of her. She's got like the best <laughs> cheekbones. Ugh. Can we get tattoos of her? I like have I one. kind of, yeah. We have to read I every actually, biography about her first and then we can. Oh yeah, I know. I think so. Make sure she's like didn't do something secretively problematic. But photos show her happy with him. Like so there's photos now, like and she's like got her hands on his knee and she's like she's laughing and she like they say that she looks like a woman in love Hmm. and you know they they even i think her son said that like if there was one true love like that was outside of her father that that was it and eleanor and earl really mirrored the relationship of franklin and missy oh i'm so glad like as i didn't know this but i'm glad that she had a relationship that mm-hmm. provided that much support. But mm-hmm. yeah. So even in the White House, Missy lived on the third floor and was with FDR constantly. She missed him terribly when he was gone, you know, doing his political crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he yeah. was gone on a cruise one time, and I'm sure it was a political cruise, not a fun cruise, because like there wasn't really airplanes that you could really get around in then. She well, wrote not airplane you can get around in now. So. <laughs> right. She wrote to him, gosh, it will be good to get my eyes on you. This place is horrible when you are away. Oh. She was admired by the nation as being FDR's super secretary secretary. And it's just like you just like know that she was just such like a cute, wholesome, amazing. Yeah. I know, but it just but makes this, me sad. Ugh. Right. Okay. And so there was also an intense flirtation with married Margaret Buckley, a.k.a. Daisy during this time, as well as married Dorothy Skiff. Dorothy even later said she would have slept with him if she asked if he asked her to. So it is like really important, I think, to talk about right now the intense adoration that FDR inspired, especially in the women around him. I will go as far to say as it's toxic. I mean, of course, he did a lot of great things, but, like, I don't think that that is healthy. Um, And another thing, especially, like I was saying before, but especially after his paralysis, he loved to take women on drives in his blue Ford V8. That was, like, his way of getting his, like, masculinity back. I think it's just, like, a way for, yeah, for him to, but also I was just, like, wondering, like, how did he find the time? But I, I know. Al- but I also think, and I'll talk about this later. I think that this these women were a distraction from the mm-hmm. incredible stresses of office. Because I think we can argue that FDR was president during some of the most stressful times in U.S. history, like the Great Depression and World War II. Like you need distractions during those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, I think, too, like, I wanted to say this, um, like, what you just said about, you know, that he had this toxic relationship with women, but he did great things. Like, yes, he did. But I think that, like, and it's not against you. I think this is, like, something society does. Like, we tend to look at someone's accomplishments and think, like, they're either all good or all bad. And, yes, sometimes they are all bad or all good. But I think sometimes, like, yeah, he may have been a great president, but, like, he really, you know, there's a lot of things that we've been looking at, like, JFK, and even, like, I was looking at, like, Clinton with Lewinsky, like, you know, those are presidents I liked, but they, like, I thought a lot differently of them, like, the way they treated women. Like, you can do good things in your presidency or, like, as a career, and you can also be, like, a shit person, mm-hmm. too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I so I think that's, like, worth noting, just, like, 
you know, people are not multi, like one fat people are multifaceted. And I agree with you. Like he did a lot of good for the country, but like, but I also don't, it's, it's weird because I think the way that he may have treated women may have been a little creepy, but I also, it's weird to see how whatever he allotted himself, he allotted his wife. Yeah. No, it's, it's like super uncommon back in that time. Like he really did think of her as an equal, which is not something that like was, com- you know. And so I'm not excusing his behavior, but there's just a lot of things that I see in him that are very rare. Mm-hmm. Especially no, back absolutely. In the, like he completely saw Eleanor as his equal, I believe. Oh, absolutely. I think that their partnership was like super rare. Like I actually was like really impressed with their partnership. Mm-hmm. Again, like back to Missy. A Newsweek profile of her at the time put it best. Her devotion to the Roosevelts seems likely to extend her spinsterhood. Missy had a lot of admirers, but she never married. And she was cute, well-dressed, pretty. She had like a really like, they said she had like a really impish smile and she never married. Maybe she had a lot of cats and a lot of plants and that's okay. I don't think she had time. FDR took it all. Oh, oh yeah. So Eleanor was also extremely busy and it was hard for them to reach each other even when they were both working in the White House. She had to wait her turn to talk to him and FDR would usually eat with Missy during dinner and Eleanor often ate with her friends or get like or guests alone. Mm-hmm. She said, quote, I learned to save anything that I wanted to tell him until I was in bed for the day as that uh, in bed for that was likely to be the only t- quiet time in the whole day. Unquote. So, I mean, they were like living together and doing the White House together, but they were super separate. Mm-hmm. And a young White House journalist actually came out and said that she had such a hard time with the way FDR and everyone treated Eleanor. She said that Eleanor bore all the hardship and didn't really ask for anything, which agreed because Eleanor was constantly getting shit for her looks. She was really, really paved the way for women equally in the White House. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from her that I've loved since I was, like, 12 was, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Mm. And I literally probably quote that, like, once a week. But she, she under, I understand that quote, like, a lot more after learning more about her because I think it's, like, something she really had to adopt. Because I feel like a lot of people were using things like her looks against her, which is just so stupid. And arguably, I mean, I don't think we even have to argue about it, but I think Eleanor truly did more socially than FDR ever did. Mm-hmm. And to think of the fact that she did it as a woman during that time, where she already had to work triply, quadruply, even more than that hard to get noticed and recognized for what she did. And she still is recognized for doing more mm-hmm. on that front than FDR. Yeah. Freaking no, gem. Freaking gem. Yeah. She is a gem. Yeah. So, but as Hazel Rowley argues, they both shaped their marriage and that their radicalness came from their accepting uh, accepting each other's separate lives and loves while forming a really strong political alliance. But it's kind of like, can we really accept the idea that they may have sacrificed their own personal happiness for this country, you know, because that's a very, like, they're being really extremely selfless, but maybe they also just realize that we alone can't make each other happy, which I think Mm -hmm. is a very mature way to look at it. But in 1941, at age 43, Missy suffered a massive stroke. 
Her right side was paralyzed and she lost the ability to speak. And when I say this was a huge loss to FDR, that's an understatement. Missy was so competent and she learned the way that FDR communicated that she would say to FDR literally like, do you agree with this or no? And if he said no, she could formulate an entire letter from that one phrase because she knew the way he thought and his phrasing. Oh, like she just knew everything about him and like her. Me too. And he paid, though, for all of her care and medical expenses. And he actually changed his will to leave half of his estate and to Eleanor and half of his estate to Missy to provide for her for all that she did for him. Oh, and of course, that during this time, because the World War Two had started, Eleanor and FDR started spending more and more time apart because both of their political lives became more and more demanding. So, you know, like we were saying, Eleanor had an extremely busy political agenda during this time. Um, There was also a code name, Mrs. Johnson, discovered in the White House logs. And it was confirmed later to be Lucy Mercer from, you know, the 1910s, um, suggesting that she had dinner and tea with FDR many times at the White House. She actually uh, did ask FDR for help, and he did help her husband receive the best of care at an army hospital after he stu- after her husband suffered a stroke. And she also suggest she also asked FDR to secure naval positions for her stepsons. Wow, I mean, it sounds, sounds like he wasn't that like. I mean, he did. You know, he was philandering, but it sounds like maybe he did care like cared and tried to protect the women he, that he loved all the women in his life he took care of in a way that is actually pretty admirable yeah you can you can look at it like the way his mother too like he like was always taking care of his mother and yeah mm-hmm. they had i mean they had a weird relationship but yeah i think it, you could some stems from that right lucy and fdr seemed to revive their relationship after missy stroke and during world war ii There's a lot of like letters that there's a couple letters that were found to be exchanged between them during this time. And it's the only letters I found that were ever exchanged between them. Because again, Lucy burnt all their letters after Mm -hmm. FDR passed away. And during in one letter, Lucy wrote that she had caught his cold. And then he replied in another letter, what, over the telephone? (laughs) (laughs) And oh my I was, god, like, I covering saying, your ass, much. right? Right, and like I was saying, all of his flirtations. Your hot dog's here. <gasps> oh, my hot dog! Thank you, honey. <laughs> Do you want to uh, eat your hot dog real quick? No, it's okay. You can eat it's it. Probably, it's probably really hot. Um, so these flirtations were definitely distractions, I believe, from the war, the very stressful war. Um, He also started taking Princess Martha of Sweden, who was actually like a fugitive in the White House during this time. She was fleeing the Germans with her children. Oh, wow. On his infamous long drives, she was another woman who just absolutely adored him. Yeah, and Eleanor was caught remarking that there was always a Martha for relaxation. (laughs) I just snapped because I I think that's just so amazing because it's like, oh, yeah, look it. There's another Martha. (laughs) There's always, yeah. Martha is the Karen of 1940. And so during World War II, FDR's health declined rapidly. He was an infamous chain smoker and drinker 
his whole mm-hmm. life. And he was not exactly known for relaxing. We can't just say like Martha. Ep- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so he was diagnosed with high blood pressure and coronary artery disease, which led to chest pain and congestive heart failure. And so then Lucy Mercer's husband died in 1944, and she began to see FDR more. Um, FDR actually put his daughter, Anna, his only daughter, and at this time she was managing White House functions in a horrible position when he asked her to arrange meetings with Lucy without Eleanor's knowledge. Yeah, that's a really bad spot to put your kid in. Right. And Anna and Lucy actually became friends because Lucy was very charming. Like everyone liked mm-hmm. her. And they actually had dinners together with FDR in the White House. Yeah, that must have been hard for her to be like putting that between her mom and him. Right, exactly. So after winning his fourth presidential election and returning from the Yalta conference in Crimea, the American public realized how ill their president really was beginning to look. He was thin and he sat while speaking, which he never did. And I think you also like read at this time that Eleanor and Franklin's relationship became strained because she knew what was at stake and she never let him rest because he really truly could not. It could arguably said like, you know, the history of quote unquote, the free world was resting on his shoulders. And there's even comments of like how he was so tired, but Eleanor was still like championing for the rights of the people of Yugoslavia and all these different things because you know, you're the president, you don't have time to rest. Right. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. And there's like all of these like stories about how his earnest circle tried to rescue quote unquote him from her. But honestly, I think she was just holding him to his position, which arguably she would have done better, but she couldn't hold at that time. You know, she couldn't right. have been president at that time. Yeah. And then of course, Missy then died without her president by her side, who she adored, in 1945. She never learned, right? And they said... Well, that's what happened with with Hick, too. She died, like, and she wasn't... She, like, didn't have a funeral. Like, yeah, she died in, like, a small town and was buried, like, alone. And then Eleanor, yeah. Right? And I know. Like, Missy, after, like, you know, it was apparent that she couldn't work for the president anymore, she went to live with her sister, and her sister said that the night she died, she took her to a movie, and then Missy went to her room and pulled out all the pictures of, like, her life with the president and his family and was looking at them, and then later that night, she died, and her sister said that she saw Missy, like, crying over these pictures, did she die of natural causes or? I mean, of course, because of complications because of her really massive stroke. Oh, right. Okay. I forgot she had the stroke. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it was. Okay. And what's even more <laughs> sad is she never learned of the inheritance that FDR left her. She never knew about it? No, because, you know, she died before FDR. I know. It's not just heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Okay. I know. Right. Don't cry. Don't cry. But also, FDR's female companions then really became competitive to see who would take her place. But of course, nobody could take her place. Nobody. No. And so Lucy Mercer then arranged for her friend, the famous watercolorist Elizabeth Schumantoff, to paint FDR's portrait. And this portrait was to be for Lucy, you know. Not, not, it wasn't like an official, like, cause you know, most official portraits aren't watercolor. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And everyone knew that FDR's old friend was coming to visit. That's what everyone referred to. Even the um, FBI, everyone referred to Lucy as quote unquote uh, FDR's old friend while he was sitting. Can you imagine like being referred to as like his old friend? (laughs) I mean, I guess I am old. I'm in my 50s because like, yeah, yeah, right. And while he was sitting for this portrait, he told Elizabeth, the painter, that he had a terrible headache and he slumped forward in his chair unconscious and died. And he died that day on April 12th, 1945 at 63 years old of intracerebral hemorrhage. Oh, it's just brain bleeding. Yeah, it sounds like a stroke. And he shocked the world because, again, the American public truly did not know how sick he was. And Lucy Mercer, not Eleanor, was with him on the day that he died. Oh, and I of mean, course, it seems really fitting, right? Right, because they weren't they weren't spending tons of time together at the time, Eleanor well, and yeah, and like he and Lucy I think loved each other for a really long I, time. Yeah, yeah, and. Lucy immediately packed up and left the residence after FDR's death to avoid scandal. But Eleanor found out. And Eleanor also learned of her daughter Anna's role in setting up these dinners with Lucy. And their relationship became strained at the time. The unfinished portrait was gifted to Lucy by Eleanor when she found it. Oh. So even after all this, even after Eleanor learned you know, that Lucy was there and that her daughter Anna was setting up these things and she felt so betrayed. She still found compassion yeah. to get this portrait to another woman who she knew loved her husband. Oh, I, I just I just feel like that just shows such a freaking depth. That is really sweet. I it reminds me of my my grand or my yeah, my grandmother, my grandfather's wife. But she was like my step grandmother, but she was, you know, she's my grandmother. But after, you know, my my biological grandmother died when I was three and he remarried and he was married to Evelyn for a very long time. I think it was always a shadow, you know, over her because he'd been married to my grandmother for so long and she was this amazing person. And like I never knew her, I so met, I always really missed her. And I met your step grandmother. Yeah, you met Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. Zelda like changed her life, remember? Yeah. Yeah. But Evelyn, like one thing I've always really admired for her was when my grandfather was like on his deathbed, Evelyn, well, you know, after all this time and after this like other woman hanging over her head, she literally said to him, she was like, go to sis. Cause that was my grandfather's ever called. She said like, it's time. Like you can go be with her. And that was like, I know it like makes me cry, but that was, and it, that reminds me of Eleanor. You, you know, it's like, I know. Why, and why are women so much always expected to be like so much stronger than men. I don't know. And so much more <laughs> compassionate. It's like. Like, yeah, men are expected to be like physically more stronger and women are expected to be like mentally more stronger. I wonder what's harder. Um. Yeah. Not the mentally. Like we could all lift up some like, weights. If all, like all, these, all of us women, let's just hire mercenaries because you can't hire emotional mercenaries. But you can hire <laughs> mercenaries. <laughs> You can't hire emotional mercenaries. That's going to be our new... Sh- Ooh, I want tote bags that say you can't hire emotional mercenaries. Right? I love it. <laughs> I think uh, it'd be really cute. Wait, wait, wait. You can't hire emotional mercenaries. Listen to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I don't know if that makes any sense, but okay. But it does, but it does to me. Like, you can't hire emotional mercenaries. Listen to your mother and all the lessons she taught you and be a responsible person. 
Lucy Mercer died three years later of pneumonia at age 57, and it was reported that she destroyed almost all the evidence of her relationship with FDR, a.k.a. all the letters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And their affair was concealed by everyone to prevent a scandal, and it was not revealed until decades later in a book called Tie Between the Wars by a former White House aide. One of FDR's children said that he had no knowledge of the affair. Another one, his daughter denied the claims. It was just like, you know, it just was like, you know, a huge mess at the time. They all kind of did. Also, yeah. Yeah. With all the affairs, I think. And historian Arthur Schlesinger Junior, yeah. controversially, I can't even say that right now. Sorry, everyone, I have a lisp. I couldn't say that. Um, controversially <laughs> said that if Lucy in any way helped Franklin Roosevelt sustain the frightful burdens of leadership in the Second World War, the nation has good reason to be thankful to her. Again, for both FDR and Eleanor. We all need our comforts, right? Yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt ended up dying in 1962. In 1960, she was hit by a car in New York City, and she was diagnosed with aplastic anemia. But then, so then later, she was giving steroids, which ended up activating a dormant case of tuberculosis in her bone marrow. I know. What? I know. What? I know. And I learned about, I think tuberculosis, we, learned, we were talking about this today, mm-hmm. tuberculosis, I, I won't go into the biology of it, but it's a crazy disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she designed died of cardiac failure at 55 years old on the three side in 1962 wait at the age of 78 oh 55 <laughs> 55 was this address of her <laughs> okay okay you want to see that like, part again Just that quick part again she died at the age of what <laughs> she died at the age of 78 of cardiac failure Okay. Today, FDR and Eleanor are buried side by side in the Rose Garden at the Springwood Estate. And also, did you know that the last name Roosevelt means field of roses? Oh, I like that. And they were buried in the Rose Garden. Do you not find that so freaking cute? (laughs) It is really cute. Is that on purpose? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure someone on purpose, but I just, I just think it's really poetic. It and cute. as for the woman in his life, Joseph E. Persico put it best. And Joseph E. Persico wrote the book Franklin and Lucy, President Roosevelt, Miss Rutherford, and the other remarkable women in his life. They form and reveal him. He's talking about the women in his life. Mm -hmm. The women include his adoring mother, the domineering Sarah Delano Roosevelt, his wife. I omitted a word because I had a hard time with it. He actually put the homely Eleanor. What? So I omitted it. So he's not, not you, Joseph. Right, right. Oh, I agree. Okay. So I, I wrote homely. Like, I heard plain. I was like, you guys, like stop judging women on their looks. Like, can we just talk about how Eleanor was an amazing woman and she did amazing things? It doesn't matter. Also what she like she had the best smile and the kindest eyes and freaking amazing cheekbones. So shove it. Yeah. I don't, right? yeah, it doesn't matter if you have really big teeth. I have really small teeth. I have tiny little baby teeth. <laughs> and like, I, so like, it's the opposite, but I understand being super self-conscious about your teeth. Cause I literally don't smile on picture and cameras because of my teeth. But so I, and that. it's like, I don't, yeah, I can't do it. I have to smile like this. And you do. <laughs> I know it's because I have like stupid teeth. I think, yeah, I've never noticed. I'm sure they're adorable. So of course, and then 
his wife, Eleanor, the trusted advisor and committed social activist, the devoted personal aide, Missy LeHand, and his great love, Lucy Mercer Rutherford, a beautiful and refined woman who served as secretary to Eleanor. Together, these women satisfied FDR's deep-seated need for adulation, admiration, approval, and respite from the crushing burdens of office. And of course, I think the same could be said for the men in Eleanor's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think FDR, that FDR wasn't enough for her. <laughs> no. Yeah. He wasn't good enough for her. I think that, I mean, yeah, I know that we said like a lot of people have excused his affairs. I think I would be less, I'm not like forgiving him, but I think I'd be less willing to forgive give him if she wasn't able to also have those two but it honestly kind of seems like they had more of a mutual Mm -hmm. relationship and I think that in that sense we can kind of give him a pass because it I mean I again I don't know what was going on if like we also don't know if their affairs were sexual no I mean it was right yeah but they could have been romantic without being sexual because it doesn't it just sounds like they were like they were like business partners basically and they were really good business partners but like Mm. You know, and had a ton I, of respect for each other, but just yeah, I just mm-hmm. love her. Every time I see a picture of her, she's so happy, and that's like you know, she went through. She had a lot of like. I'm getting a poster depression. of her for my my kids' room. Oh my god, you have to! Mm-hmm. I love her. I love. Her. And for any, mo- for any moms listening, Olivia the pig in the cute Olivia books has a poster of Eleanor Roosevelt raising her hand, like in like a cheer. In her room. Oh, my God. It's so cute. I love that. I love Olivia. I want to get one. I love Olivia. Yeah, so cute. Oh, sources. Yes. Okay, so our sources, of course, were uh, Franklin and Eleanor, An Extraordinary Marriage by Hazel Rowley. And then also, for me, Franklin and Lucy, President Roosevelt, Miss Rutherford, and the Other Remarkable Women in His Life by Just V. Persico. And, of course, Wikipedia. And I also looked at Wikipedia a little bit. I read a 1979 New York Times article by Deirdre Carmody and a HuffPost article by Mark Pizer and Timothy Dwyer. Woo! And also, you are so lucky tonight because Emily and I have had too much wine and it is too late for us to do our happy harlots. Also, I can't think of anything because I've been up for 75 hours straight and I'm too tired. Okay, so thank you for listening to our podcast, Harlots of History. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and at iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. Come see how cute we are on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast. If you enjoy us like we enjoy you, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us tremendously. We release new episodes every Monday and salacious minisodes every Thursday to help you get through your week. Next week, we'll be talking about mistresses of the Communist Party in China. It's going to get real deep. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) And not spooky. (laughs) No, spooky season's over. Oh, Oh, all right. I'm going to throw out my pumpkin beer then. Um, (laughs) All right. So this is Emily. And this is Karamia. Taking back the word harlot, one episode at a time. Be a harlot, not a hater. (laughs) Bye. Bye.